0: Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Hark. You can check out new episodes of the show every Tuesday and Thursday at 2 p.m. If you missed an episode or want to get more information about the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Season 1 of the TV version of Building the Future is now streaming online at buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Alan Amron. He's the inventor of the Press-On Sticky Note, today known as the Post-It Note. Alan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. Obviously, you've done some really, really crazy, incredible, awesome things in your career. Um, But let's maybe kind of before we get into all your kind of success, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
1: I was born in uh in brooklyn new york uh Sheepshead bay area okay and i went to uh lived there till I was about um i think around twelve or thirteen then moved to Long Island and went to baldwin high school and uh, obviously Baldwin junior high school first and then Baldwin sure. high school and uh and then when I got married i i moved to uh Oyster Bay cove
0: okay awesome so what did you kind of take in university then?
1: Um, I, I was uh, engineering mostly. Um, I was at uh, I went to a junior college in Miami first, called Miami Dade, for a couple of years.
0: Okay. Uh,
1: then, then I went to uh, Memphis State University, uh, uh, both in engineering, okay. but never really completed it. I just uh, started inventing and going into business uh, my third year of college and. Uh, pretty much went on with business and felt that was more important to make a living than to uh, be going to college.
0: Interesting. Okay, so let's back back step a little bit. So what made you kind of want to go into engineering?
1: Um, I was mechanically inclined all my life when I was a kid. Uh, I used to build things that people used to look at me like, wow, how do you know how to do that? And I never really knew how I knew. I, I was just had this natural ability to... Uh, to build furniture, to build uh, toys, to build uh, little houses. I just had this natural ability to fix things and and build things. So that to me was engineering, I I believe, and so I went into engineering.
0: Okay, very, very cool. So at what point throughout your kind of post-secondary education did you decide, you know, this isn't for me, I'm going to leave school and kind of go off into the business world?
1: Um. You know, the first invention I ever did, uh, for, I did three inventions inventions in the same year, and they okay. were my first inventions. When I was a kid, I, I used to, like I said, used to build things, and I had made a, um, uh, I took a piece of furring strip, piece of wood, and put a battery on, on each side of it, put a, a wall switch on the bottom, and put a light in the front of it. And I made a what I called a gun. I pulled the, the switch and like pulling the trigger and the light would come on as to simulate a bullet. Sure. And, uh, and, and people thought that was like amazing. I was like 11 or 12 years old. And they thought that, wow, how did you have these foresight? Because there were no toys like that. It was sure. I invented one myself. So the first invention I had when I was young um, was the, uh, the battery operated water gun for uh, the toy industry. And the press-on memo post-it note, which is known as the post-it note, sticky note today, uh, were invented in the first year. And uh, I didn't really know a lot about inventing, um, so uh, that's pretty much would like. Uh, but I got excited about the new products, and I went out and started licensing it and trying to sell them.
0: Okay, so let's let's step back a second. Okay, so your first invention, the, this gun, how did you kind of come about? Like, how did you go and, okay, you obviously, like, built a prototype of this thing, but, like, how did you turn it into an actual product that got into the hands of people?
1: Well, when I made the first, it actually, it happened while I was in college. I, I, we were all running around the dorms shooting water guns at each other, and sure. and, and, and and with the energy that we had as, as college students, we did, a, did it for hours, okay. and after hours of pumping a hand-pump water gun, my wrist started to hurt and I couldn't play anymore, so I devised this, uh, I went into my uh, garage and I, I devised this um, battery-operated water gun. Sure. And uh, where the pump and the batteries, once I turned it on, just kept pumping and I didn't have to like keep pumping the trigger by hand. So all my friends saw it and I was walking around drenching everybody and getting everybody wet <laughs> and uh, everybody else was like giving up because their their arms were tired. And they all said that's a great toy idea. Why don't you bring that to a toy company? So I had a cousin who was a, a salesman at a company called Mego Toys. Sure, okay. Uh, I don't know if they're around anymore, but Mego Toys used to make superheroes like Superman dolls and uh, and um, uh, Farrah Fawcett dolls and and uh, different tech- personality dolls and and some. Other seasonal items, too. But I didn't know enough at the time that they had to make water guns for me to want to show them a water gun. But my cousin, who was working for that company, um, I contacted him, told him about my idea, and he set up a meeting with a guy by the name of Marty Abrams, who was the CEO and owner of Mego Toys in New York. So I went into New York with uh, this. I built a prototype of my water gun, a better-looking one, not just a breadboard, which I used in my water gun site in college. And I made it into in those days when I was younger, machine guns, real Tommy gun machine guns, because of of the Godfather movie, and and that was like the big gun in those days. That that was the toy that everybody loved to have, and it, and and so I made a battery operated water gun out of one of these Tommy gun looking machine guns, and I put it into a violin case because I don't know if you watch Bob movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they used to carry the machine guns around That's in amazing. their violin case. I love that. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So uh, that was my that was my marketing part of of my inventing, and so I put this water gun invention inside this violin case, and I went to this meeting at at Mego Toy, and I had it like I I put a velvet inside to make it look like it was really a cool you know uh, product, you know, and it was painted bright yellow, and it really looked terrific, and it worked well. I took it out of the violin case when I was with Marty Abrams, and I demonstrated it for him. And he right away wanted to license it, and he gave me a $500 check right there. Now, you got to remember, in, uh, in those days, 1980 or whatever it was, or 70, whatever the date was, um, uh, $500 was a lot of money, especially to a kid that just came up with this idea in his head. Sure. Uh, and that was, that was a $500 advance against future royalties. Okay. And so he licensed it from me, and then a, a couple of months went by, And, um, because of the war in Vietnam at the time, guns in general were pretty much taboo in the toy business. So they needed to put a hold on it until the war was over, which didn't happen right away. So a number of years went by and eventually he gave me back the product. I didn't have to give him the $500 advance back, but he took the product, he gave me the product back in, in writing. And then I tried to license it again. And because of the war in Vietnam, nobody really was interested in making toy water guns. So, it, it was out of the market for a long time. Then all of a sudden, I, I got married, and, and my wife had, we, we had a, uh, a son, and um, when my son was born, we went to the toy store to buy him some toys. Sure. Um, I think he might have been one or two at the time. And so uh, we noticed a toy on the shelf that was not a machine gun, but a, uh, an Uzi machine gun. Not, not a Tommy gun machine gun, but an Uzi shape machine gun and it was a battery operated water gun and my wife and i actually went nuts we thought that was so cool that my idea was being made obviously not realizing that somebody was knocking me off because i didn't know enough about it at the time sure but i notified the toy company that i had uh, a patent on it because i had filed a patent on it right and as soon as i notified the toy company they uh settled with me and we we licensed it to them and I made millions of dollars from that uh, toy. It was it was amazing.
0: That's awesome. Okay, so you obviously then you're kind of like when when you kind of license is it just for like a period of time or does it really is it indefinitely or does it really depend on kind of the agreement?
1: It depends on the agreement. Normal uh, license ag- agreements usually go up for a year at a time, and they're renewable automatically. Uh, either side can get out if either one of them breached the other side. There's a lot of rules in licensing. I didn't know them at the time, but uh, you hire a lawyer who does this for a living. They know all the ins and outs, and, and you get a an advance against future royalty. Uh, you get royalty checks quarterly. You're able to check their books to see that they're sending you the right amount of money. And, and I was getting royalty checks of anywhere from from $50,000 up to $250,000 at a, a quarter which was wow
0: that's incredible absolutely
1: amazing yeah
0: that's that's awesome and and it was almost like a bit of fluke luck then that you actually discovered that somebody was knocking off your product
1: yeah and, and I didn't learn till years after that, that 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 that's what they were doing i just thought being naive that they didn't know about my patent and oh, okay. uh, they went ahead and did it but uh, years later, I realized that, no, nah, people, they check the patents first or they try to file for patents. And if they see one, they'll ignore the inventor at first and hope that the inventor will contact them and then they'll make a deal. That kind of, uh, of a thing.
0: Got you. OK, so let's let's transition to kind of the post-it. So how did that kind of come to be? Like, how did you come up with the idea?
1: Well, I, I, I just got married um, in September of 73. Okay. And um, and I was working on projects because you know I was inventing stuff and doing things and and uh, I had to leave a note for my wife on the refrigerator when when I was leaving in a hurry and she wasn't home. Okay. And you know I just got married, so I really cared a lot about wanting her to know where I was. And we didn't have cell phones in those days sure. to call each other or text each other. So I, I I I had a note. I wrote it on a on a piece of paper. But I was going out, and I'll be back whatever time, and I signed it, Alan, and whatever, and I and I wanted to put it on the refrigerator, and I couldn't find any scotch tape anywhere in the house. I'm looking all over, and I had to leave because I had a meeting. Okay. So I didn't have a lot of time. So I couldn't find any scotch tape to put it on the, on the refrigerator, and we didn't have refrigerated magnets then either. So it wasn't like I could just put a magnet on it or whatever. Sure. So I did have some uh, duct tape that I had in the garage, and I was going to use that, but it would have left a mark or a residue on the, on the refrigerator after she took the note off, and that would have been worse than leaving the note. So
2: sure.
1: what I did was, as I was thinking about how to do this, I'm looking at a piece, uh, uh, there was a, a pack of Wrigley's Spearmint gum on the table. Okay. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking gum, sticky, you know, and so I took a piece of gum out really and put it in my mouth, started chewing it really fast because I had to get out of there, and I had the note written already. And I took a little piece of the of of the gum I was chewing out of my mouth, a little like a size of a match uh, tip,
2: sure. And I,
1: I I kneaded it around, which means I rolled it around and I pushed it and I like puttied it, and it was very very sticky. But okay. I thought it was too sticky because it was sticking to my fingers, so I rolled it around on uh, the counter on some dust. Okay. And and made it a little less tacky. I took that that little wad of less tacky sticky uh, gum. And I put it on the refrigerator, and I slapped the note on top of that, and I ran, uh, I ran out of there after I pulled on it first to make sure it would stay there. I pulled a little bit to see if it would stick, and it stayed there, and I left. And I ran out of the house, and I completely forgot about it. And when I got home, my wife said to me, that was so cool that you left me the note, so thoughtful. And that idea of how you put it up on the refrigerator was so cool that when she took it off, she was able to not leave any residue on the refrigerator, and it came off cleanly, and she could put it back up there if she wanted to, and she thought it was a great invented idea. I sure. agreed with her, and I started manufacturing them. I, I had to develop the glue first, uh, make product, and then I went to an invention show, and that's where I met 3M.
0: Okay, that, that that's amazing. So let's step back a second, and and we'll cover kind of how you met 3M in a second, but Okay, so you 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 started kind of manufacturing them. How did you kind of obviously getting paper probably isn't the hardest thing in the world, but actually ma- making and coming up with the glue was probably extremely kind of difficult and you probably went through a number of kind of versions of that. Where did you even start?
1: Well, that's interesting because I'm not a chemist, so I didn't know from mixtures and chemicals and things like that, but I'm not stupid. So I went out and I bought all the glues that they sold in the store, like Elmer's white glue,
2: uh,
1: uh, airplane glue. I bought all the glues that were out there and found that they were all either too sticky or too wet or too – they were too, too. They just weren't working properly. So I took – Uh, a mixture of um, the white glue and some glues that I had and some turpentine to make it thinner and less tacky. And then I sent it to a chemist in Chicago who I had contacted. And again, we didn't have Google in those days, so it was kind of hard to find a chemist uh, locally around my block or whatever. So I only found a guy in Chicago who was a uh, chemist who was interested in, in taking what I needed to uh, end my my final formula with uh, and charge me a fee to, to do it. So I called him up. I sent him a sample memo, uh, which I took regular white pieces of paper. I I put a little bit of the glue on each pack of the paper, put them all together in a pad, and then sent it to him. And when he got it, he thought it was really cool, but he said that uh, he could make the, uh, the uh, glue less tacky, um, Uh, work really well. And I could put it into a spray can to be able to uh, mechanically make them a little faster rather than just wiping them on with a paintbrush like I was doing before. He developed the final glue for me. So he developed the final glue, which was tacky, less tacky, but enough tacky. And he sent me the first sample and it was perfect the first time. I put the glue I didn't have it in spray yet. He only sent it to me in a raw, uh, like a gallon drum. And I took a little bit of it on a paintbrush and put a little line on the top of my memo. I blew it so it would dry, and then I put it on the wall, took it off, put it on the refrigerator, took it off, put it on the glass window, took it off, worked great, loved it. Thought it was terrific. So then, rather than paint the samples, I took that gallon and brought it to a local aerosol spray a uh, distributor, a guy that takes cleaning materials and puts it into spray cans and sells the cans uh, for spray, like Windex and sure. things like that. And in those days, again, it didn't have Google, so I had to like research who mo- I looked on on cans of Windex um, and different spray cans, for bug sprays, and who was my local guy that could do this for me. And it turned out the company's name was Right Way um, Aerosol Cans. And I went into his company in Plainview, Long Island, right near my house, and I gave him this gallon drum and said, could you make me up spray cans of this uh, tacky glue so that I could spray my product? Uh, and he agreed. He did. He made it for me. And we had a minor problem at the beginning because when you would spray it, it would clog up the nozzle, and the nozzle would get, like, dry, and you couldn't spray it again. So we devised a way of putting a little bit of, of uh, more turpentine in it or more of, of some sort of liquid that they had that, that would thin the glue a little bit so that it wouldn't get coagulated at the front of the nozzle. And again, I didn't know all this stuff when I was doing it, but you learn as you go along, sure. till you get it to work the way you need it. Gave me the spray cans. I went home into my basement, started panning up press on memo, sticky notes. I would spray the tops, put the, the, uh, paper on top of another piece of paper. I'd spray another one, put it on top of another piece of paper. I made pads of like 20, 10 to 15 to 20 sheets of pads. And I was selling them for like nine dollars and ninety five cents a pad. Wow. Now that's a lot for a memo pad, especially in nineteen. I think it was nineteen seventy five or whatever it was seventy four. Um, and people were complaining about the price, but they loved the product so much that they were willing to like play. It was almost like a. They didn't use it on on every note. They just used it on important notes. You know what I mean? Sure. Because it was so cool that they could like write it and just post it. Now you got to remember, since I was the inventor of the sticky note. I actually had to explain to people how to use it, which is really interesting. Because right now, today, if you give somebody a sticky note or a post-it note, you don't need to tell them how to use it. Sure. They know that you write the note, you stick it on a wall, or you move on. Well, it, when, you don't, when there's nothing in the marketplace like that, and you're the first to invent it, and you give it to somebody, they write on the note, and then they take it, and they push the center of the note and let it go, thinking it's going to stick on the wall. And sure. you go, no, 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 you've got to touch the top of the note where the glue is so that it'll stick on the wall and then they uh, after a while they got it oh oh, oh! and now they write the note they stick it on the wall so the interesting thing is that the fact that it was so new and nobody knew how to use it uh, that I thought that was a very interesting uh, thing to talk about
0: yeah that, that's amazing and that's that's fascinating to me how like the whole thing came to be right like that's it's unbelievable right in, in a lot of respects and so okay so you go to this trade show how did you kind of Meet 3M. Obviously, they were at the trade show.
1: Yeah, I had my battery-operated water gun at the trade show. I had uh, my press-on memo sticky notes at the trade show. And I filled up my 10-foot by 10-foot booth at this uh, Sheridan Hotel uh, in New York City um, ballroom. In their ballroom, they had this inventor's show where there was like, I would remember somewhere maybe 100 or 90-some-odd booths. They were all 10 by 10, mostly inventors showing product some companies looking for new products. And I set up my booth and I was next to this, um, this pet toilet guy who invented the pet toilet.
2: All right. (laughs) Um,
1: And it was this big gigantic thing where the dog would pee or make in it. And it would just, you'd flush it and it would go down the toilet. It was kind of funny looking and and interesting. And the news came, the local news came to cover that because they thought it was so silly and so cute. And, and so they covered that. And while they were there, the producer was standing in my booth, looking at my battery operated water gun and my press on notes. And he said to me, can I do a story on this? And I thought he meant on the press on memo. I, I didn't think that he wanted to do a story on the water gun because it was kind of silly also at the time.
2: Okay, so sure. he
1: come to his guy after he's done with his story on, on the, uh, the pet toilet. Uh, he came next door with his camera crew and the, uh, the, the, uh, newscaster and the newscaster said, can I see the water gun? And I said, yes. He says, what is this? I said, it's a battery operated water gun. It happened to have been a Tommy gun at the time, like I told you. Sure. And so he took it, he aimed it at his camera and he said, and there were some silly inventions at this inventor's show like this battery operated water gun. And he pulled the trigger and shot the camera. And that was the entire coverage. He didn't say anything more, or anything less. He sort of made fun. Of my battery-operated water gun,
2: sure. and
1: uh, turns out that years later I made millions on the battery-operated water gun, and on the press on memo, uh, 3M made billions of dollars on it. So he had like right there the opportunity to cover two of the biggest products that happened, and he didn't.
0: That's hilarious! Wow, that's that's fascinating, right?
1: Yeah, and now that, to answer your question about how did I meet 3M, they sure. saw the coverage and the commotion in my booth. They didn't see the commotion in, in the booth before. They only saw the commotion in my booth when the uh, news was covering my water gun. So they came over. There, there were these two guys in suits from 3M. Wow. I didn't know they were from 3M. But they came over to my booth watching them film this um, this news thing. And when they were done and the noise died down and the people walked away, they came into my booth and they were saying, we're very interested because they obviously were milling around my booth playing with my post-it notes, Well, I called them press-on memos, sticky notes at the time, sure. and they were playing with them, and they both looked at each other and said, we'd like to take some samples of this and your spray that you use for it, because I, I had my spray cans there also, which I had a full-color label on, it. I called it stick em up Glue. I made up a name because I was trying to sell them as well, because nobody oh. had a glue like that sure. at the time either. So. They said, we'd like to take a sample of your glue that you used and some press-on memo samples and bring them back to the 3M marketing department and try to see if we could license this from you. I was so ecstatic. I mean, that was the purpose of my going to the show, not getting news about my water gun, but getting a, a manufacturer like a 3M who made scotch tape sure, at the sure. time wow. to, to want to make my product. So they took samples and they left and they get, gave me their business cards. Um, before they left. And all I could notice about the business cards, because I was in 7th Heaven, was that there was this bright yellow 3M on it. I didn't notice their names. I didn't notice where the address was. I didn't notice anything else but the fact that it was a yellow. Because in those days, there was hardly any color. You know, color copiers and color printers were, like, not even around when I was in 1974, 73. So this was to see a, a business card with a color... Uh, logo on it was uh, was astonishing to me and that's how i met 3m that's
0: that's incredible and you're right like that business card alone would have cost some money like some serious money to get printed back in those days
1: oh it, it, the color was just like uh huh. i mean color TV had just come out i mean that's sure. how, how how uh and we certainly had no communication like beepers and 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 uh cell phones and things like that sure
0: that's that's amazing so they take it back they obviously must have reviewed it. They, their marketing company, decided that they could market this thing. Kind of. Then, obviously, they rolled out a campaign after they cut a licensing deal with you. Or kind of. How did that evolve once they decided they want to license it from you?
1: Well, it didn't happen like that at all. The strange thing is that um, okay. I didn't hear from. They told me they were going to get back to me, and they never did. So a couple of weeks went by, and I had their card. So I called them. And when I got them on the phone, they were very clear to me that they did put it through their marketing department. They did put it through their business people and lawyers and stuff, and that they're not interested in going forward for two reasons. One, you can't print glue without gumming up the printing machines. And two, the cost of manufacturing would be prohibitive to making it a a successful retail sale. So I, you know, both, both very logical, very reasonable things to believe. I, as I was young at the time. I believed it. And I went on with my life thinking, oh, okay, it's just not a good product and they're not going to make it. And so I went on with my life and started, continued selling them to local stationery stores, local uh, photography stores were using them. Uh, and so that evolved for a couple of years. Then a number of years later, I noticed while I was watching television with my son that um, that a sp- in the space shuttle, the, the uh, astronaut was floating in space and he was putting a post-it note on the console. And me and my son are looking at each other going, holy shit, that's my invention. You know, how come, uh, who's making that? We didn't know 3M was making it. We didn't know who was making it. But we knew it was big when they're using it in space. Because if they're using totally. it in space, that is totally cool. You know, so... So I, the next day I got in touch with um, a stationary uh, distributor and asked them who, who's making this pr- sticky note or whatever I call it. I called it press-on memo at the time.
2: Sure.
1: Um, and they told us that it's a company called 3M and it's called Post-It. And I said, cool. I contacted 3M and wrote them a letter telling them that I brought it to them and that I created it first. I'm the first inventor of it. Um, and to please call me back, I would like to discuss this with them. Sure. They completely ignored that letter, and I sent that letter registered letter. Um, I did learn a little bit about patent law in the interim from the time I invented the post note and the battery operated water gun, and later on, when this happened, and I re- did know that I could notify them in writing, and if they didn't get back to me, I could file a litigation against them uh and and ha- and be justified you have You have to notify somebody uh first before you could sue them or, or or you should notify them first otherwise the court doesn't look that kindly on the fact that you just up and sued them didn't right. you want to even contact them first maybe they would have settled kind of a, an attitude sure but since they didn't answer me um 10 days later because in my letter i said that if i don't hear back from you in 10 days i will you know uh, uh file a litigation uh summons and complaint uh, and I did, they didn't get back to me. So I filed a summons and complaint in the summons and complaint. I don't know if you've ever heard of Terry Mason because he yeah. was a very old, uh, totally. when I was a kid, he was a, yeah. Um, Terry Mason always liked, liked to surprise the, the court with a revelation. Uh, well, courts don't like that. Courts like you to spell it out, tell it like it is no surprises, no smoking guns, what's going on. And so in my complaint to 3M, I actually covered the entire from beginning to end of my invention and how I developed it and all of my products and and all the proof of patents and uh, that they filed and that they should be losing because they didn't mention me in any of those patents. Um, And in my complaint, all these exhibits were in there. And I sent this to 3M and had it served, which means that somebody had to actually go there, hand them the papers and say, you've been served. Right. They had 20 days to respond and their response was, within a couple of weeks, they called me and said, we want to settle. Okay. And I said, okay, um, I want to settle too.
2: Sure. Uh, you know,
1: I don't want to fight. I, you know, this is a great product, and I think we can make money with it. And they said, no, we want to settle, but um, but, but we want to tell you a couple of things first. You didn't invent the, the sticky note in 1973. A, a guy named Walter in Switzerland invented a sticky note in 1968. So 3M didn't invent it, and Alan Amron didn't invent it. And therefore, your litigation should go away. Interesting. And I said, you know, yeah. And I'm saying, you know, wow, that's that's very interesting. Can you send me a copy of that patent? I'd like to see it. So they sent me, in those days, they only had, I think, I don't even remember. It could have been only fax machines. Uh, or if they didn't have fax machines yet, they had to send it to me by a wire or something. I don't remember, but I got it. Okay. When I got it, I read it. And I didn't know, you know, I wasn't that uh, attuned to, um, to patents, so I really didn't know whether they were telling me the truth or not. But I'm saying, why would 3M lie to me? you are fa- practically admitting they didn't invent it, and I didn't invent it. So, Alan, move on. So I agreed with them that I would move on for just my course of filing the litigation. Okay. I figured, why shouldn't they pay for this? I didn't know about it. I mean, it wasn't my fault that I sued them. They should have told me in my letter that sure. I sent them originally that, that, that we didn't invent it. And so, so they agreed to pay, I think it was $12,000, which was my cost uh, of doing this litigation, because I didn't have to pay a lawyer. I did everything myself, but it's still for copies and books sure. and filing fees and all of this stuff. I said, you know, to be fair, it was just $12,000. So they agreed. They sent me a check. We settled the case. Then, a couple of years later, On the 35th anniversary, I don't know if it was a couple of years, but years later, 3M started claiming they invented the post-it note. They had a a 30th anniversary where uh, a guy comes from 3M saying, My name is Arthur Fry, and I was in church in 1974, and I invented what we called first as the uh, uh, press and peel, and then years later we turned it into post-it note. And I'm going... They said they didn't invent it in 1974, and I didn't invent it in 73, that this guy, Walter, in 1968 invented. How come they're saying they invented it now? So I wrote them a letter, and I said, guys, we have a settlement agreement. You're saying we didn't settle it, we didn't – I didn't invent it, you didn't invent it. Now you're claiming you invented it. What's not fair about this? Sure. And they they said to me, well – and then they sent me the thing again, said you didn't invent it, and I didn't invent it. They sent me the, the Swiss patent again. And, Guys, that's not going to work now. I read the Swiss patent, and the Swiss patent doesn't say anything about sticky notes. All the Swiss patent calls for is a new way of, of making pads. Okay, you know, instead of putting the glue on the edge of the pad, they put the glue at the tip underneath on the pad so that they'd use less glue.
2: Right. And it had
1: nothing to do with reusing it or putting it on refrigerators or posting it or, or pressing it or anything like that. And so they didn't answer me, but um, I told them that you got to stop saying you invented it first because you didn't. I invented it in 73. And then a couple of years went by, and they didn't stop. They kept saying it. And it was starting to affect my business as an inventor. People were believing me less and less that I invented it. sure. And so I was losing money. And by losing money, you get a motivation to want to sue them again, and I did. I took suit again uh, January of this year, 2016, and I sued them for a declaratory judgment to declare who the real inventor is, showing them all the proof that I invented it in 2000 and, and, and 1973, that they claimed and they invented it in 1974. So clearly, I invented it first. Sure. And And so that's where we are now. We're in that litigation.
0: Interesting. Okay, so yeah. and then hopefully that gets sorted out sometime this year?
1: Well, it's, we have the trial date is January uh, of 2017, oh, okay. which is the end, just the end of this year. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. So obviously you don't, you obviously have no idea what the outcome will be. Obviously, like it, it looks like you're gonna get this thing because you have all the proof that you did it first. So, you know, but obviously until the trial happens, then you can't probably, obviously you can't predict that, right?
1: Well, I, I could do two things. One, I could tell you that uh, the University of, of, of Texas in Arlington did a mock trial. They, they do really? a civil trial mock trial every year with their lawyer uh, students, and then they have their students being the audience and or being the jury. Sure. And they took my case that I have pending in, um, in court now, and I won um, five out of the six. I, I won the case. I won damages and I won everything except they did it intentionally, uh, which obviously you can't prove they did it intentionally, but sure. I won everything else, and, um, and the jury awarded me uh, damages. Now, in the real case, interesting how the real case works. In the real case, I sued for declaratory judgment, which has, which has nothing to do with 3M except that they claimed already publicly that they invented it in 1974. Right. Now, take that element and then my element. I claim to invent it in 73. Here's my proof. Sure. And I show them all my proof, and they then say, okay, the court either says I am the first inventor of the sticky note, or, uh, or they are the first. Now, how could they possibly say they are? Because sure. they did it in 74, I did it in 73. So if I could win the court's uh, approval on declaratory judgment, declaring me as the inventor of the first sticky note, well, then damages and defamation come in. Because they've been saying in the press that they're the inventor, damaging my career and inventing. So there is where my damage part of my claim comes in. I can't win the damages part unless I first win the declaratory part.
0: Yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, interesting. Okay, so I'm I'm curious, you've invented tons of other things throughout your career, and we're kinda coming to to the end of the show. And I'm sure you get asked this a ton. But I'm curious, like, what do you tell people, because obviously you didn't have the internet, you hustled, you figured out who to contact at the companies, or did your research kind of, you know, obviously off cans or bottles or, you know, and figured out who you need to contact. But what do you tell people nowadays that say, you know, I have this product, and I, or I have a prototype, and I want to take it to market? Like, they have basically everything online. To, and, you know, they can do all the research online, but you still must get asked that question. And I'm curious what you tell them.
1: Well, I tell them it's a double edged sword now that you're able to use Google, because when, when you don't know something and you think it's the, the best thing that you've ever invented in your life and you don't know that somebody else in Japan already invented it, you work really hard on it. and Maybe it'll evolve into something that's different. From the person that invented it in Japan. Sure. With Google now, you type in your idea now. If you find product being sold on Amazon.com exactly like your product, you move on. You don't even, you don't even dedicate yourself to the product and you don't uh, bring it to fruition or try to make it better or, or whatever like that. So it's a double-edged sword because if you don't find anything on Google, that's a good thing. Then you go ahead wholeheartedly and you make the thing work. You file patents to protect yourself and you build it. And uh, chances are it'll be successful if it's never been done before.
0: Sure, that that's interesting. Yeah, you're you're right, right. And I, I think that's it is a good way to just validate your idea right away. Is just do a quick search before you put in tons of time and money. Like I've watched. Obviously, like most people, I'm sure they've seen Shark Tank and there's a few others throughout the world that, you know, do something similar to Shark Tank. And I think there's a lot of people that get on that show that sometimes their idea is just bad, right? And sometimes it's really great and they get invested in, right? And so, Right, right. But I also think, just kind of judging from your own experience, that it sounds like, obviously, the water gun made you a bunch of money to kind of fund other things that you've done in your career, but... The beginning, it sounds like you basically self-funded all this stuff. You didn't try to go raise tons of money and, you know, kind of go no, no, in no. debt and all that, that stuff. right? That's not true.
1: That's not true. No, uh, I, and I don't. Re- I don't recommend anybody self-funded. To tell you the truth, because okay. uh, there's a risk. There's a risk in everything you do in in life. Okay. Uh, what I did in every invention I've ever done, including my battery-operated water gun and the press-on memo sticky note, okay. is get a, an investor to put the money up needed to bring it to the next step and give them a fair percentage of, of, of the company. This way, it's not your money you, you have at risk. It's just your idea at risk. And this person that's coming in with the money, hey, without your idea, they don't have this opportunity to make a home run, as they called it years ago. Sure. So uh, I never put my own money into uh, my own products, not because I didn't believe in them, but, um, but I believe that nothing is is guaranteed in life, and you might as well split the responsibility or the, or the um, the, the, the uh, winning or losing uh, opportunity with somebody that could put the money part of it up.
0: Sure. Okay, no, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So at what point in a product's life cycle do you go get an investor? and like what do you bring to them? obviously like a hardware prototype of, of whatever you're trying to do, or, or what point do you feel like people should take their inventions to try to get, uh, investment?
1: It depends on how good a salesman you are. I mean, if you like all my life, I never even drew it before I, I brought it to an investor. I, I, if I came up with it in my head, I already saw it in my head and I was able to like explain and, and, uh, and animate myself to show how exciting the product is and what it could do, how it could solve what problem. And then they inevitably say, can you show me it in drawing and I'd get a rendering done that they would pay for. And then if they wanted to see it work, I'd build a prototype, which then again, they pay for. And so you don't have to invest anything if you have a really good idea that excites people. You can get an investor to do it phase by phase. First thing is draw it. I mean, I could draw it on a napkin, but I'm not an artist, so I can just show him on a napkin what it would look like, uh, but he's gotta get the excitement from how I'm selling it to him and what he thinks that product can do. And then from there, he'd pay for the d- rendering, I call it, which is a an artist drawing what I have on my napkin. And then from the rendering, you're bringing it to a model maker to make a real working product of it so you could demonstrate it not only to the investor to put more money in, but to a licensor to buy it.
0: Interesting. Or no, it. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So I'm, I'm kind of curious, you're obviously doing this thing with, you know, you're, you're in court right now. But what, what are you currently doing now? Like, I, I remember when we talked before, you were doing something with lasers. And I thought that was kind of really interesting. Um, do you maybe want to kind of cover what First Down Laser is?
1: Yeah, I invented uh, a first-down laser, which goes on the field so everybody could see it. Everybody knows the yellow line that's on TV that's been around a long time that shows you where the first down is that the players are going to. And it's just been so necessary in in watching of a football game to know where the first-down line is, because every play pretty much is the goal to get to the first down first. That's the goal of football. Getting to the goal line is the ultimate goal, but getting to the first down and moving on to the next set of downs is the goal in football. And there's like seven or eight to ten of those before you get to the goal line. So for years, they, they only had it as a graphic on TV. And uh, so I came up with this idea of projecting a laser line, a four-inch wide green laser line from the, uh, the lights in the stadium onto the stadium, uh, the football field itself, and move it up and down the field exactly the way the referees want where they want the first down line to be so the players could see it, the referees could see it, so the fans in the stadium could see it, so the cameras, all the camera angles would see it. Um, And it would be the official line for first down so you could see if the guy made it or not. It's called firstdownlaser.com and we're actively um, uh, pursuing that with the NFL, the NCAA, the SEC uh, for professional football now.
0: Sure, that's amazing. That's awesome. So how did you kind of build the first prototype of that? Like, did you partner with somebody? Like, how did you kind of get a first working version of that?
1: Yes, I, I, I said, who would be my best partner to be with the NFL um, in something like this? And, and I happened to be a signatory agent with the Writers Guild that year, or those years. And I had an FBI agent by the name of Mike Burns, who I represented in his book writing. And his brother-in-law... His sister was married to Pat Summerall. His brother-in-law was Pat Summerall. Pat Summerall's on TV every single day broadcasting football. So I figured, let me contact Mike and ask him if he can get me a meeting with Pat Summerall. He did. He set up a meeting. I met Pat, who is, by the way, my idol. I watch football all the time. And I explained to him and demonstrated to him how the line would work on the carpeting in the hotel room in New York where I met with him. He loved the idea so much that he had me on a plane the next day going to an NFL competition committee meeting in Florida. Wow. And I demonstrated this to the NFL right then and there. And then it evolved into different, you know, sizes and different shapes and different embodiments over the years. But that's how it started.
0: That's amazing. I, I love that. I think that that's great. So we're, we're kind of coming to the end of the, the show. Maybe let's close the show with kind of mentioning where people can get more information about yourself online.
1: Well, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, Alan Amron, uh, A-M-R-O-N on LinkedIn. And I have um, our website is firstdownlaser.com. That's F-I-R-S-T-D-O-W-N-L-A-S-E-R.com, First Down Laser. And you can get to me. I have my email on, on all of those accounts, and you could email me. I'd love to hear from people. And, and I like helping inventors because when I was younger, if somebody could help me, I would have been a lot better off today if I had helped them.
0: Sure. No, Alan, uh, that's amazing. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to be on the show. I look forward to keeping in touch with you and kind of, you know, maybe talking to you again, um, maybe like f- f- uh, February-ish after kind of everything settled with uh, 3M. Terrific. Perfect, man. Well, you have a good rest of your day and uh, we'll talk soon.
1: Very good. Thank okay. you very much for your okay. time.
0: Okay, Bye. Thanks for listening. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep
2: them in the future.